Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, welcome back to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome a, another stellar panel of guests to answer questions about manufacturing, continuous improvement, and starting and stopping production. These expert panelists include Joe Anderson, George Williams, Calvin Williams, and Halfro Rich. During this lockdown period, I've been offering some new advertising packages on Rob's Reliability Project. So if your company sells products or services to engaged maintenance and reliability professionals, tell your marketing manager about Rob's Reliability Project and have them send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com for those packages. Also, subscribe. Please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform. And follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn for the best memes in the industry. Lastly, if you're looking for some written content, I do produce a weekly newsletter. And you can find that and sign up for it at robsreliability.com. So thanks for listening. Now here's the panel about manufacturing. Welcome back to Rob's Reliability Project. We're back on another webinar. I believe this one is number seven. So we're, we're, we're rolling. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a bunch of special guests today. We have Joe Anderson from Reliability X. We have George Williams from Reliability X. We have Calvin Williams filling up the screen from Improver Technologies. And we have Hal Fro Rich from Impact Washington. Guys, how are you? Good. Fantastic. Great, Rob. Thanks for having us on. No, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Now, the first thing we wanted to kick off today, so we wanted to jump on and, and really talk about starting and stopping production and kind of like what should we be working on during this COVID-19 lockdown, lockdown. So why don't we start off with the first question about like if we're starting to slow down or if we're going to be shutting down the plant, what are some of the best practices that we should be doing? Joe, do you want to kick us off? Uh, sure. Uh, from my perspective, there's a couple things. From an operations perspective, I think sanitation is probably key. Uh, making sure um, all your equipment's clean, which you should be doing anyway. Uh, that <laughs> gives you uh, reliable equipment, but making sure it's all clean. Uh, there's no leftover product. And then it depends on what types of machines you have. Uh, if you have blow molders, for example, to shut those down and allow that plastic to harden could create uh, a mess. So I don't know if they do, you know, wax purging or something. Same with glue pots and those types of things. So uh, there's a lot to think about there to make sure that uh, things are prepared for a shutdown. From a maintenance side, you have things like uh, your batteries and your PLCs. Um, are you doing your PMs? Are they adequate, you know, as far as the battery life on your PLCs? What you don't want to do is shut down a disconnect and lose a program. Uh, you'll have chaos when you go to start back up. Um, things like uh, single point lubers. Do you have single point lubers on your machines? You'll definitely either want to disconnect them or shut them off. 
um, or both, or you're just going to continue to pump grease into bearings while your line's down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, managing your lubricant storage, uh, you know, if it's climate controlled, not climate controlled, those types of things. Um, um, so there's, there's quite a bit to think about, but you should have already had a checklist at this point. I'm preparation for something like this, you know, so. Joe, you know, we always, we always say that, right. And it's like, it seems to never be true. All right. <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about it a lot, but I don't think anybody ever thinks something's going to happen. And you know, the fact is now we have something to look back on to say, yeah, you remember this. Uh, we weren't prepared for it, right? And so uh, it gives people now the motivation and drive to actually develop something like this so that they're prepared for it the next time. You know, so there's a lot of questions around this. What's going to happen next flu season? <laughs> right. Right. I mean, what what's going to happen, right? And so you have to be prepared. And are you prepared for it? Absolutely. Calvin, do you have anything to add? Yeah, yeah, a couple things. Uh, first thing is, Joe, I really like the background. Uh, the books there, just infinite <laughs> credibility on that one. I got He's I gotta, a learned guy. I'd like to see the spy in one of those magazines. Yeah. <laughs> I think from a, from a timing standpoint, you know, the folks who are going to shut down may be well into it already, but, you know, there's always things that you may have missed that that would be good to go back and review. So uh, I really think if, if it depends on if you're doing a phase shutdown versus a hard shutdown. Um, and I'll start with a hard shutdown because it seems like that's the, you know, that's what most most companies really had to go, uh, the direction they had to go. So um, with a hard shutdown, um, just a good rule of thumb, you know, coming out of the SMED playbook is you want to set things up in such a way that you pretty much have a push button restart. Right. So um, anything you can do to Joe's point, cleaning, uh, queuing up, if, if you got a non-perishable product, uh, queuing up products so that uh, when you come back in, operators don't have to go scrambling, looking for things, uh, setting up raw material, all those things, have that stuff ready to go right by the line, right at the, uh, or if you've got a machine step or whatever it is, uh, right at the bottleneck or your, your, uh, your monument, if you're a TOC person. Um, so that so that when you do come in and you got labor there staffed up ready to go after the pandemic or after you know after you open back up, you pretty much got a push button restart um, as far as you can go with without causing other you know unnecessary losses and other problems with that. So uh, the other piece though is if you have a phase shutdown, um, what you want to try to do is try to keep production lines running at full rate if at all possible. Uh, this means if instead of saying, let's take half of the, let's shut one line half down and go half speed, let's shut another you know, another line half down and go half speed there. What you do is just move people off of one line and fully crew a different line. So you have a full crew going on the, on the line that's still running um, during the phasing period. So uh, there's a lot of, this, I guess the science behind this is is you don't want to start training your people that half speed is a good is is, is acceptable, right? Uh, there's a there's some cultural you know some discipline things behind that that uh, that could create bad habits so that so that when you start people understand hey rate is rate we run rate when we can't this is our this is sort of our phasing plan and um, we sort of keep the keep the 
keep the team at a certain level of ex- expectation about the way the business runs. So, is that um, the only concern with running half speed, or are there other concerns? I mean, there's always um, the machines are trained to run full speed too. So, you know, when you, you you create more minor stops, uh, I believe, by slowing mm-hmm. it down. Uh, it yeah. depends. It depends, but. Yeah, you, you can create other issues with the equipment for sure. You can. You can create quality issues. I mean, you're you sort of optimize at a certain rate, you know, speed, quality, people, everything else. When you start fooling with rates, you start fooling with results in, in just about every category too, safety as well. So um, yeah, it's just, you know, best practice, try to run at rate if you can. Um, the folks who are like partially crewed down but don't have work on the remaining running lines. Uh, that becomes surge workforce to get some of those projects done and maybe advance some things that uh, otherwise you wouldn't have time to do doing normal circumstances. Um, and part of that may be, you know, resetting up the line for, for a startup, for that push button startup. So, um, yeah, continuous improvement is something that consumes time and resources. You got, you know, you may have a period, you may have some periods in there where you have people who are still working, haven't left. You can, you can take it, take advantage of, their time and energy to to get some of those things done that that are usually difficult to do. I don't know anything about running at half rate. All I know is one hundred and ten percent, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the next question that came in was around these planned shutdowns. Like the question was, is should this be any different than a regular plant outage that we would schedule, you know, on a yearly basis or however often we do that? Hal, do you have any insight on that? I, I think, you know, we've, we've touched a little bit around it. You know, if you've done a proper risk mitigation, you know, if you've done your risk mitigation from that, you produced a standard operating plan for a shutdown. You have your individual standard work that's going on for each one of them. I think what's uh, what's changed is this is a different type of an outage than, I mean, a planned outage is usually something that we'll spend a year planning. Here, there was no plan. You know, you've got a breach in the tank and there's no loop, uh, PID loop that's going to tune the flow back. And so, I mean, you can see some of the strategies some of the companies had to do uh, where they pretty much locked everybody inside the plant for 24 hours a day for what? What did they work 21 days in a row, 30 days in a row, and they continue to produce. So is, you know, if this strikes again, are we going to kind of go to uh, an oil rig type uh, mentality where maybe a maintenance crew comes in for a 21 day uh, rotation, you know, sleeps and stays in the plant because some plants you can't turn off. I mean, I mean, it's just impossible, especially uh, petrol, chemical, you can't do it. So you've got to keep it running. There's no half speed, uh, especially refinery. Yeah. Uh, so this may, uh, plant outages in the future may have to include, we can't shut down. So what's our alternative? And, you know, do they bring trailers in for sleeping quarters? Do they bring, you know, catering service in things like that? I think that's going to be, uh, an interesting uh, anomaly from what was considered a planned outage before. yeah we've seen that in my industry like i work in oil and gas and we've seen like obviously there was the the drop in prices and people are still producing because like you just your plant can't shut down so you're still rolling so it's it's real interesting now george do you think that like these 
we could maybe shift our plane outage to now, or is that just too complicated from a safety point of view or from a planning point of view? Well, so I think there's a lot to consider there. One is lead time for what you would typically bring in, right? If you're, if you're an organization that normally has this shutdown over the Christmas holiday and has parts that are six or eight or 12 week lead times, you've probably not ordered those thinking initially this is going to be four weeks long. Um, and so I don't know that that's really a viable solution, but I think there are things that folks certainly should be doing if the line happens to be in a, in a state of unuse, um, at least temporarily. And I think it'll also change how we look at things in the future though, Rob, in terms of, you know, having PMs to, to turn on or rotate stationary rotating assets, they might get built inside your CMS and then just kind of be put on hold unless this event ever occurs again. At least the planning process that's going on now should be considering those types of things if it doesn't. Um, it, the other thing is, I, instead of doing you know your two-week-long shutdown, now's a perfect opportunity to do your engineering tests, yeah. to retrain people how to use the equipment properly, to make sure it's back in a state of readiness before you actually turn this back on, recenter line everything, get everything exactly. You know, you've got time to not, you know, for lack of better terminology, to play with it, tweak it, get it perfect and set it in stone and develop those standards if they don't already exist. And I think that's probably a better use of the time than trying to do a full overhaul and rush in parts. Um, it, you know, that being said, if you're in the process of we are going to do that, I, I wouldn't wait to do the work, right? Because this could flip in, in a day and everything be back up and running. And the longer you procrastinate to get any planned work done, the worse you're going to be, right? All that stuff you've been saying, well, we can't do that work because we, we can't shut down. You <laughs> shouldn't wait till the last week of however long this is going to be to figure out you can get that work done. You know, if that's the case, certainly jump on those things. You, you know, it's going to happen though. They're, they're going to, people are going to start doing it and then it's like, oh yeah, we're back to running now. I'm doing it at home. What are you talking about? I got, you know, I need to do lists all over the place. So George, I just want to dig a little further. Like I know we talk about maintaining, like, you know, like turning uh, shafts and lubricating. And usually we talk about it in a storeroom context because that's where, you know, the equipment's obviously it's just sitting there on the shelf. Now, what are some of those things that people should be focused on right now? And like, how often should they be doing it? Like, give us some, some tips. Well, I, I don't know that we can give them exact frequencies for everything, but it because everything's already connected, right? You can't just walk up and spin your motors because they're they're coupled right now to whatever they're driving. So you actually are going to have to turn the equipment on unless it's stationary and disconnected, which is probably not the case. You just got to be really careful how much you do that because – Calvin brings up a great point. Equipment wants to be under load for a lot of reasons. And not only for the production output reason, but vibration increases four times, you know, as, as, as you half load, right, on all your bearings. I mean, that's, that's a technical outcome. So, you know, I, I, how often that's happening would really be dependent on a lot of factors, including what the, the natural vibration around all the operating equipment is and how often you would have to spin that to, to eliminate a false Brunelling scenario. But honestly though, to just go to your conveyors once a week and turn them on for five minutes, isn't really, it doesn't need to be rocket science. Just don't ignore it. 
Yeah, that's that's one thing I I think that people just need to take away is don't forget about your equipment. So George, I mean Joe, just to pivot here a little bit, like when we're when our plant is shut down, like I, I talk a little bit about going through the backlog, you know, of work that you could be doing. Like, what are some of those things that you could be doing right now if you're still able to have those, like your maintenance folks and your operators in the plant at a safe distance from each other? My number one goal would be to restore all my equipment. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean an overhaul, but what you would do is you'd bring in um, some folks and clean the machine as thoroughly as you can. And while doing so, you're doing inspection and inspecting for defects, mm. um, making a list of all those defective parts, getting them ordered. And then when they come in, restoring that asset back to its base condition so that maintenance can now maintain an asset instead of you know running around trying to figure out how to fix stuff it's hard to maintain a failing asset right <laughs> but if you're in this case it's uh it gives you an opportunity to catch up on all this stuff and a lot of your backlog is nuisance work orders a lot of times and restoring equipment will drive a lot of that work out of your backlog anyway um as well as prepare you for a better run when you do start up. I think our goal should be to take advantage of the time we have to make ourselves better when we come up out of this. And whether it's learning a new skill, whether it's improving your equipment, you know, training, any of those types of things, we should be better tomorrow when we start up than we were when we shut down. And I think that should be the focus of any organization all the time. But, uh, <laughs> it's not just now, right? <laughs> right. But, but, but it's not right. I mean, especially if you're a reactive plant in firefight mode, it's hard to get caught up. Um, but now is the time you can take advantage of it if you're in that situation. Um, you know, but like I said before, on the other end of the spectrum, you have places that are over capacity. Um, because of demand for products. So you still have some organizations that are, you know, foods flying off the shelf still. Yeah. Toilet paper still can't get restocked, right? So, you know, paper mills and food manufacturers and pharmaceutical manufacturers have a different problem than, say, oil and gas or maybe a woodworking, uh, a carpentry or, or cabinet making manufacturer. You know, it's a little different, right? Um, and so if you were prepared before you could take on the added capacity, uh, if you're in that scenario. So my goal would be to prepare, um, for added capacity, whether we get it or not. I, I think it. It, another interesting thing that'll come is with this downturn is there'll be layoffs mm -hmm. like today, Boeing announced a 10% layoff. That doesn't mean they're going to go out and shut down 10% of the equipment. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And maintenance departments are still going to have to maintain right. the same amount of, of equipment, but with 10% fewer people, because yeah. of course the layout will, the layoffs will be blanket. Yeah. And so that, that's a strategy that'll have to be worked in this too. What, what I've seen also is the, like the maintenance budget gets cut and just for parts or for capital replacements and the equipment's still in the condition it was before. So 
we're, we're going to be in a tight spot here a little bit. Yes, we've always been the orphans in the plant. <laughs> I was always the, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness guy. So I would just blow the budget anyway. So, you know, that was me. I'd, you know. But, now, now you don't have to ask George for permission or what? <laughs> no. I just blow it anyway. Thinking <laughs> if maintenance is the orphan, then CI is the twin brother of the orphan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Calvin, just on that note, off, off, just a little bit off of what Joe was saying about getting better during this, like if we're shut down, like what are some ways we could be get it, using this time to get better? Man, it's hard to add to Joe's answer, especially with those books in the background. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think he's right on. I mean, there's always, always, always a ton of deferred maintenance, um, especially if you're not in a a very strong TPM environment where you have a backlog of abnormalities and you know things building up in places where they shouldn't be and uh, that kind of situation. Then yeah, you got I mean, you know, patching holes in the roof. Uh, stuff that you never would get to. This is a great time to get to those to those things. Um, I think the reality though is the economy, when things do start to pick back up, is gonna be starving, right? For, for a lot of industries, not all, but for a lot of industries, it's gonna be a, a, a lot of pent up demand for the things that people have been wanting but haven't been able to get um, during this period because plants have been shut down. So um, yeah, we talk about you know, having a shorter crew, having to come back in and do more, uh, that's going to be, I think that's going to be a challenge. Um, and machines are not going to want to go from zero to a hundred real quick like that. So uh, there's some, there's some change management that should go there. There's some risk mitigation that needs to go in there. Um, but I think from a CI standpoint, there's no such thing as too much research and development. Um, organizing projects, uh, doing analysis on the data that is available from you know the way things were and the, the losses the greatest losses kind of organizing uh ideas for improvement around those things and even maybe working on some of those improvements even though you can't necessarily run full speed to test them out i think you can still get in there and turn some wrenches and maybe fix some things that you know probably on the high probability needs definitely need to get fixed things will help things list um yeah, uh, influencing, you know, influencing up, down, left and right within your organization. All of these things can be done remotely. Uh, if you're a CI person, and this is from talking to CI people in the field, uh, <laughs> some of them are walking on eggshells right now because in situations like this where the business is struggling and everybody's worried about money, CI is often the first on the chopping block, which is yeah. unfortunate because you need it now more than ever really. Um, you need to be innovating now, right? Because when the world does restart, it's going to be a new world, right? Uh, the customer's going to want different things um, or, or more, you know, more or less or diff something different. So here's where you need innovation. Here's where you need those good ideas. Here's where you need to be in sort of rapid growth, rapid change mode. And that's what CI should be doing for you. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, um, CI is one of the first things to get divested in time in hard times. So um, in addition, of course, you've, you've probably lost your behaviors for meeting at the gimbal boards and having those conversations and sort of those good habits around CI that you have to work so hard to develop. Uh, uh, some of those habits will also be either lost or, or need to be rebuilt when you come back up. So 
I think all of those are considerations. So, you know, during this time, if you're a CI person, proactivity and, and, and proving your value to your organization and to, to, to the world at large is, is the challenge, but it's, it's doable and it's something you should definitely be looking at. And, and like I said, it's never too much. There's no such thing as too much research and development. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can always be learning and growing and developing um, what's, what's, what's most needed for the business. So, yeah, I'd like to dig in a little bit about that. You mentioned a few things about influence. And the second thing you mentioned was about how we're going to lose like some of those teamwork and culture aspects because we're not running. Like, what are your, some of your recommendations where we can keep that as best we can during this time? It's really about getting people together like you're doing right now. I mean, it's just, <laughs> this is a prime example you know, getting the right folks in the room and having the conversations and planting those seeds in their heads. And even, you know, giving folks to do's coming out of those conversations so that, you know, this kind of thing stays front of mind. Um, it's probably one of the better, best things you can do. Um, but obviously just making sure you have a plan, right? For restarting, obviously things are gonna be crazy at, at, at first. It's gonna be uh, chaos trying to get things back up to rate, um, but, you know, having a plan to say, hey, after the first two weeks, the first, you know, 30 days or whatever, you, whatever works, you know, whatever you need as a business, here's what we're going to launch into right away, right? And everybody's already on board. Everybody's already aligned. Uh, there's no, there's no uh, meeting and figuring this out. We've already kind of checked off and said, this is what we're doing. You just kind of dive right into it. Um, of course, you factor in any new considerations, but yeah, just be ready, you know, be proactive and be ready. Uh, this is certainly not a time to get undisciplined, which could be easy to do, this is the time to prepare, right? Because luck happens when preparation meets opportunity and opportunity is certainly coming. I think we're all, we're all undisciplined now, just at home eating chips on the couch, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting how other industries are uh, taking this challenge. So if you're kind of paying attention to what's going on out there, we're kind of in the new low touch economy. Hmm. And so uh, there's gotten to be a, almost a worldwide movement of people looking at how do we innovate and what do we do out of this thing? And uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Slack. You know, it's a, it's a great yeah. software program for getting conversations going from many different avenues mm -hmm. in the maintenance and, you know, repair and, and reliability world. We seem to be like a whole bunch of little fuddy-duddies. We don't think that way. No one, no one looks at, uh, said, oh, gee, let's join the 21st century and let's go use some of this new technology and, and new ways of thinking, crowdsourcing things. Uh, like if you look at how many of these plants have gone out and, and switched themselves over from making booze to making hand sanitizer, okay? Mm. Innovative ways. We had a kayak place that went from making kayaks to making face shields, okay? All that was innovation, but that rarely touches the community of maintenance. We seem to be sticks in the mud. We're trying to convince people to use RCM, which was invented in the 70s. Oh, I, so I, I, mean, like, about it. I taught my first autonomous maintenance workshop in 1989. Okay? <laughs> and I spent a year before that studying it at Ford and over in Japan. Mm. And I would assume at this point in time, 99% of the world ought to be doing some type of a TPM thing. And I still find out maybe, maybe 10%. Mm. 
for doing it. Oh, yeah. you get that high. Ten is that, high, yeah. yeah. That's a big number, I think. Well, yeah. because in India, yeah. they seem to practice it a lot over there. Yeah, yeah, they do. And, and of that 10%, six saved it, mean, but not, not yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Don't harp it on the percent have the word TPM in their vocabulary. That's, yeah. that's 10%. Yeah. They've taken the training. That's uh, mm-hmm. Well, they think a PDCA cycle is planned, discuss, complicate, and abandon. <laughs> that's that's the, the whole thing. Joe, Joe, write that down for Joe the is right. Captain. Yeah, yeah, I got that. That's mine yeah, now. I just stole yeah, that. I, I coined that one over 20 years ago, and it's been copied. I, I thought it meant, please don't call again. That's what yeah, I yeah. <laughs> right. But, you know, really, when you get these little formats here where we're talking on the web, and I don't know who's going to listen in, Maybe we could start that movement that says, okay, are we going to just sit here and let what's happening happen again that we've seen over and over and over? You know, we saw it when the towers went down. We saw it when the financial market crashed. We've all been through several generations of this, okay? And every time we go, oh, woe is us, we know what's going to happen. Well, how do we break this cycle of hurt? Okay, and that's and that's what no one's ever sat down and said, okay, we're we're going to break it this time. How do we educate people? And this might be our time to do it. I don't know. We're trying, right? <laughs> well, you know, heretics and non-believers are burned at stake. <laughs> okay, but uh, you know, that's that's what we're looking at. Is you've got you've already seen the innovation that can happen at manufacturing. We need a, we need a PPE, and we need it in massive quantities. How many plants? And I think a lot of them, if you if you scratch the surface, have very strong lean backgrounds. We're able to flip the manufacturing thing in a matter of weeks to start producing something else. Hmm, right. Okay. And so they didn't do that by sheer accident. It was almost like a, you know, World War II, Rosie the Riveter came marching into the factory and they said, we're going to change. We're going to do it now. But they had that basic discipline of lean. You okay. know, uh, there's probably a lot of companies who came up with that idea, but then looked downstream at their company and said, oh, hell no. That's right. We <laughs> just ain't got it in us, right, to, to do that, to run that play. So, yeah, having that, that CI competency and discipline gives you those kind of freedoms to do that. Well, so, and the, the one thing, Calvin, I, I guess, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter what plant I go in, everybody's been exposed to it. It's been going <laughs> on too many years to say, oh, I never heard of it. It's they may have heard it at a plant and then left. The new plant doesn't do it, or a plant attempted it, failed at it, and then squashed it. Right. But very few people don't understand what continuous improvement is at this point in time. Hmm. Well, we've heard the word, but um, so Calvin knows what rocket science is too, but they can't get one on the moon. You know what I mean? Like they can't sit by themselves and put something on the moon just because they heard of rocket science. There's a big difference between understanding and aptitude. I think the gap there is how do we, how do we support and develop and handhold and coach people through aptitude versus understanding? I, I, you know, when you look at the whole change curve, right, you've got a whole piece of, do I understand it before do I own it? And, and I think you're right. Everybody understands what it is. Everybody fundamentally believes they it's a necessity, but the skill set to implement and to create habits is where everything falls falls to the floor and that, and that's why most of the folks that are on this call you know support organizations to do exactly that mm-hmm. right 
So George, I guess let's dig a little further. Like, let's say we were one of those industries and we're trying to switch over to one of these essential products. Like what, what are some of the considerations that we need before we can execute that? Leadership. Everything's going to boil down to leadership. You've got to have a, an organization that understands goals and opportunity and execution from leadership to the shop floor. And if that, if that doesn't exist, you don't stand a chance. And so if, if, you know, if your leadership says we are going to alter how we do business and we're going to support this effort for two reasons, one, socially, it's the right thing to do. And two, it will allow us to maintain, or at least to some degree, maintain our profitability throughout this effort then, then it, you know, it, that's great to say it. It's another thing to execute it. And in order for that to occur, then, then a direct understanding of leadership, the shop floor needs to be in existence. Clear communication needs to be in existence. And then you've got to have people that have been, you know, trained and, and are skilled enough to execute when given those general goals and ideas. And I, I think, you know, one of the things we keep talking about is what can we do during this downtime? And, you know, one of the things we haven't mentioned yet is practice. We've got to practice behaviors. Hmm. We've got to, we, you, know, it, it, you know, yeah, find a problem, go solution it. That's still practice. Hmm. See if we can get something down to becoming improved. And if you, if you practice things and continue to drive those things, they become habits. And, you know, you don't change culture. You don't walk in a room and say, we're going to change you evolve a culture and you do that through giving different experiences and habits, developing habits. Love it. Love it. Love it. Calvin, I, you, you look like you have something to add. <laughs> do I? Oh, yeah. He's about to say George got that all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, yeah, I think George is right. Actually. Um, yeah. It's about what <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't have any books to back him up. Just to follow. Come on. Yeah. Have you seen my library? <laughs> Um, no, it's, um, you know, the thing about like, I'll just t t take Tesla for example, right? Uh, they, they make electric cars and they were very innovative and very forward thinking. Even with that, they were, I think they were among the first companies to switch over and start making ventilators. I believe I heard something else that said they were subcontracting for some of that, but just go with me on this. Okay. You got to think about what they've done to house point for months and months and years and years leading up to a point where they can just turn on a dime like that, right? Uh, for those companies that have not invested in people's ability to solve problems, you just don't have the agility and adaptability, which I think is, a, is the word of the, the pandemic for manufacturer. You just don't have the adaptability to switch gears and pick up something new, right? Because that requires retooling that requires reteaching that requires a million problems to solve right going from cars to ventilators maybe there's some relationship or going from blue jeans to face masks uh comes with a million problems at every level in the organization and if you haven't built that problem solving muscle right uh as 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 much as leaders can do and being having the courage to say hey we're going to take on this ambitious feat there's a whole up and down the chain of command capability of solving problems that's also needed to be successful at that kind of transition, right? 
And if you haven't built that muscle, if you haven't built those habits, if you haven't challenged your people and coached them through uh, solving problems and overcoming challenges and meeting new targets, if you haven't done that on a consistent basis, if you haven't made that investment in your people, then when a situation like this comes up, you, you, you're sort of just SOL, right? You just can't make the, you just can't make the cut. Think about like a tailback. Um, those of you who are already thinking about the fall, uh, <laughs> tailback is coming out of the, the backfield. You just can't make that cut, right? You just got to take it down. And uh, I think a lot of manufacturers are, are seeing that now. So, you know, I can only hope uh, for myself and my profession that, you know, people realize that, yeah, that's what, that's what it means. That's what CI means. It means you're more ready. You're always ready to, to grow, to change, to do what's necessary to, to win in uh, whatever happens next. Do you think, do you think, of ideas. <laughs> do, you, do you think like more agile companies are going to come out of this as a result? Or do you think people are just back to their old ways? I think if nothing else, companies are going to leverage the internet a little more. If nothing else, I think the internet will become a part, a more core part of the way we, we work and get, get our work done and we deliver our work. So, um, if nothing else, I think that's going to be a piece because we are all getting great practice with the internet now. Right? So the practice and the habits of being built, I think some of that's going to transfer back into the new normal. We'll going to call it that. Um, will will companies work to be more adaptive in the future? You know, I think you know that's that's yet to be seen. Uh, I'm optimistic that they will, but that requires being proactive about the issues you have today so that you can free up resources to invest in a more adaptive company and that's the uh that's the mind that's a mindset shift for for leadership that needs to take place love it love it love it now how just to just to kind of close this off we got maybe 15 more minutes but what are some of the things that we should be getting ready for when that when we need to flip that switch so then we're back in production Okay, well, as we said, everybody's business as normal is now not. <laughs> you know, your supply chains have changed. Your transportation has changed. People aren't going to be willing to get on airplanes. Like if you've bought equipment somewhere and you need to go do an inspection on it, you know, buy off test and trials, you may not have anybody that wants to do that. Uh, if you're in facilities, your open office is now dead. You've got to figure out some way to, you know, protect people. All your cleaning is uh, different, you know, from the community coffee mess to, to whatnot. So I think, you know, what I've been working on is assessments for companies to go in and look at top down everything they're going to have to hit. And so I would say from, a, you know, from a plant maintenance and facilities maintenance standpoint, you may want to sit down and brainstorm out what what the new world looks like, what's been affected by you, because it's not going to be business as normal. When they're only flying, you know, half the airplanes are now parked in Arizona, uh, all the airports, you're, you're not going to be able to emergency ship parts anymore. So you're going to want to look at, at, you know, rectifying your inventory, making sure you've got your just in case stuff. So it, it is go through your whole, uh, what do you want to say, your, uh, your global world of your plant and say what's changed and what hasn't changed. And if it's changed, how does it change? And is it critical or not so critical? 
I try to get some matrix down and then a firing order of what stuff you've got to go look at. And so I would say there's, you know, starting with the safety aspect, then the people, then the facilities, and then, you know, down to the equipment and stuff like that. But of course, make the safety and the people the very first things you're looking at. <laughs> because, I mean, you can always see it. Some plants are doing the temperature check before they get to come in the plant. Okay, what's that station look like? Do you have one? You know, do, do people fill out a little uh, health form before they walk in? All Everything's changed. So that's what you got to mainly do is look at your startup now has a few extra moving parts to it. And what's that look like? Yeah, maybe, maybe Joe, do you have anything to add on that one or maybe some, yeah, just go ahead. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think we've um, exhausted just about everything. I mean, we kind of come back to the same things over and over again. Right. And yeah. um, the world has changed whether we want to admit it or not. Um so some things are definitely going to change for every organization. Um, the question I have is, are you going to be ready for the spike that is going to come as everyone's released from their homes, right? Out of captivity, back out into the wild, right? And, um, you know, spin's going to go through the roof and things are going to go, you know, there's going to be a spike and then it's going to level back off, I believe. Um, for those of us that have been fortunate to continue with work and stuff like that. So are, are they going to be prepared for that? And then, you know, your Amazons and those that are innovative, um, a, a lot of that comes through leadership first through empowering problem solvers and then providing the necessary skill sets to create problem solvers. So, um, I don't know. I, I think we've pretty much exhausted this topic, you know, as far as I could see. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, I guess we'll just wrap up here. So Joe, anything to plug? Uh, website, uh, reliabilityx.com. A lot of resources there. Um, we've got some new stuff coming and uh we have a few new videos up now um there's a lot of content and uh we're continuously working on the site um not only for our offerings but to offer learnings to others um so there's a lot of resources to take advantage of there um, that's about all i got perfect george i mean obviously same website but anything else to add yeah sure um so next week we'll be executing some training for the university of Wisconsin. You can go to the university of Wisconsin engineering professional development website, uh, sign up for next week's classes. They are CMS utilization, uh, setup and utilization as well as uh, overview of predictive maintenance technologies. Uh, and then Joe is hosting a couple of classes the week of the 18th, I think Joe. Yep. Uh, what are those? Asset strategy development and maintenance best practices. So go see University of Wisconsin's website, sign up for those. They're fantastic courses. You'll have to send another flag over to, uh, to Steven so he can put it on his wall. <laughs> uh, Calvin, anything to add, anything to plug? Uh, well, uh, most of you guys, we engage um, pretty regularly online. So we got tons of content, educational material, videos, podcasts, blogs, and stuff 
on the regular coming out. So uh, stay, stay tuned and stay engaged. I appreciate the guys who really have been supportive of what we've done. Uh, we've got a couple of, um, we landed a speaking role at Industry Week, actually. Uh, it was supposed to be in June, um, but it got bumped back to December. But it's, uh, it's kind of a big stage for us, big step for us. Um, I'm there with the client, Troy Magruder, uh, Improver client to talk about uh, the work they've done with Improver and leadership standard work and then the certification model and all that stuff, internal certification. So if any of you guys are there in Orlando in December, uh, be great to meet in person, maybe catch up and get drinks or something, especially since Rob is taking a break here. <laughs> yeah, cheap date. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Hal, Hal and I have been talking about doing uh, Kata Dojos and other stuff like that. So if anybody has interest for that, maybe we can try an online format, uh, be open to doing that too as well. So um, other than that, just hard at it. Uh, we've gone to a freemium model for Improver. Um, I don't know if I told you all you guys that yet, but yeah, we, we just opened the door since uh, considering the circumstances, just hey, just go in, enjoy the product, uh, understand what it can do for you. And uh, we're looking to, to get the core users using without all the overhead you know, requirements and things like that. So if you're interested in using it yourself, all of us can benefit from great coaching, even me. <laughs> and uh, and all of you are great coaches, so uh, this is a this is a great channel for you to use the internet to you know kind of enhance or enhance your coaching toolbox and uh, bring more value to your clients even even in times like this. So that's it. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And yeah, for people listening, it's Improver with a U, just so on, so you're right. you can spell it out right. Al, right. any plugs? So I, I want to give a plug to the 51 different manufacturing extension partnerships that are very active in helping small businesses uh, weather this storm. I, I mean, from anything from they have been going out and helping transition some of these suppliers over to making things for PPE and stuff like that. They're, they're actively going out and connecting suppliers together, connecting companies together. They've prepared a lot of detailed things to uh, help companies go out for their uh, PPP. I have to remember all the acronyms, you know. So, and they've also got a lot of uh, uh, just information on on how to run your business during this. They're looking at helping them import, export, all types of things. There's just a a treasure trove of information and support available through the MEP system. So, if you're a small business, you need some help. Reach out to your local office and. Uh, tap into them and they're and they're there to help you so they did get i think uh, 50 million dollars in funding to help small business and this is real small business not like shake shack putting in for a 20 million dollar loan these this is really <laughs> small business right so they have money in all the states now that that small business can tap into and get uh, specific help on what they need to make their business help their business survive and thrive during this time so that money's available, tap into your local MEP, see what they could do for you, and uh, tell them how I sent you. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, give you they'll give you extra money, right? <laughs> Maybe, who knows? I, I threatened to have bake sales around there the other day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, great, great plug. Yeah, I mean, for me, just <clears throat> obviously follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn, subscribe to the podcast, 
this one will be posted in, I don't know, four or five weeks, whenever I get through my backlog. Um, and yeah, I mean, the last thing I want to leave you guys with today is just a little word on connection. And it's something that I think a lot of us, since we're working remotely, we may have lost our connection with people, whether we're used to going into work and sitting next to people and talking or, or we're used to going to conferences or we're used to, you know, connecting in these very physical different ways. And so that's kind of where, where I'm trying to get with, with these live webinars and, and some of the other events is just, I want to keep our community together and just, just know that if you're listening to this, like you're supported, so you're not alone out there and, and that's it. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for joining us, everyone.